0: lava Okoroi Hawkins, usimaya fofonga ile Pacific Waves, RNZ Pacifica. Coming up
1: first. That is a symptom of the climate crisis that continues to impact already vulnerable communities in Kiribati.
0: Drought stricken communities in Kiribati in for the long haul. The
2: voters still couldn't believe I lost the seat so I'm having a lot of support right now. So I'm confident to come back again.
0: PNG women candidates say they're up to the challenge this election.
3: Labour mobility is important in terms of us having access, but we also have to keep the balance.
0: And Samoa's Prime Minister wraps up her first official visit to Aotearoa, New Zealand. The head of the United Nations in Kiribati says the drought situation affecting the country will continue to put more pressure on already water-stressed families and households in the coming months. On Monday, the Kiribati government declared a nationwide state of disaster after below-normal rainfall caused high salinity levels in water sources and key monitoring wells. UNICEF Pacific Chief and Head of the Joint UN Presence in Kiribati, Nick Rice-Shudo, says all 120,000 e-Kiribati have been affected by the drought. He told RNZ Pacific regional correspondent Kelvin Anthony the weather and rainfall patterns have become more erratic over the past few decades resulting in more frequent and intense droughts in Kiribati
1: that is a symptom of the climate crisis that continues to impact already vulnerable communities in Kiribati. And the drought outlook is most concerning for islands in the Gilbert group, most notably in South Tarawa and the southern islands of the Gilbert group. Over 94,000 people or 79% of the total population lives on those islands and is therefore at higher risk. The drought forecast is that it will persist until at least the end of the year. For communities serviced by a piped water network uh, through the Public utilities board, they have enacted uh, conservation measures and they will be scheduling water service hours. It's estimated that the PUB water network has a 70% uh, leakage rate because of its old age. So only 30% of the water that they distribute actually reaches communities.
2: So what is the response from uh, UNICEF Pacific?
1: We are working with the government of Kiribati, civil society organizations, and our development partners to ensure that children and their families affected by the drought have access to safe drinking water by diversifying water supply sources through desalination, water trucking, and increasing water storage capacity. In drought uh, situations, when uh, water becomes scarce, Adequate hygiene practices such as hand washing with soap at critical times like uh, after using the bathroom or before eating or preparing food are often sacrificed. And additionally, with more households transporting, storing, and handling water reserves at home, it may lead to additional opportunities for water to become contaminated at the house level. We know that this can lead to an increase in preventable waterborne diseases, including diarrhea and malnutrition, with children being the most vulnerable. So UNICEF's response is also to ensure that children and their families continue to have uninterrupted access to adequate hygiene services.
2: Now Kiribati is uh, in the middle of a COVID-19 outbreak, so how will this uh, drought add to the challenges of uh, containing the virus?
1: Lack of access to water could lead people uh, to not wash their hands uh, as frequently as they should, um, which would hinder the country's fight against COVID-19. So we're supporting the government of Kiribati to ensure that hygiene promotion campaigns that are part of the COVID-19 response do not lose any steam because of that drought. Um, we have uh, prepositioned emergency supplies, including uh, household hygiene kits, jerry cans, water treatment tablets that we're mobilizing from a local warehouse in Tarawa, uh, informal warehouse in Fiji, as well as in Brisbane, for immediate distribution to children and their families uh, impacted by the drought. So those are the actions that UNICEF has been taking in um, in Kiribati in response to the drought.
2: It is a challenging time for the people of Kiribati, but do you think that there is anything that they can do, the, the ordinary Kiribati citizens, to help with
1: this situation? So um, so people in, in Kiribati they really know the value of water and they don't use more than what they need. Um, so in, in a context like a drought, um, there is very little that households can already do to, uh, to minimize their water consumption and um, with uh, the current measures uh, in place we are hoping that conservation can go a little bit Further, um, but the 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 prospects are going to be very challenging um, for for families uh, that are already water stressed and vulnerable in Kiribati. There are two things that I think are really key in um, in uh, in this drought that really highlights two very important points that paint a full picture for Kiribati is one, uh, the government's work on resilience. For many years now, UNICEF has been working with uh, the government of Kiribati on building systemic community and institutional resilience to emergencies like droughts and floods. Um, and, uh, you know, through our water, sanitation, hygiene programs, we've worked with the Ministry of Infrastructure and Sustainable Energy, the Ministry of Health and the Ministry of Education on increasing access to sustainable water uh, supply services by uh, mapping groundwater resources and building uh, wells only in appropriate locations to protect groundwater resources. And we've also increased uh, local capacity for water storage through rainwater harvesting systems in schools, communities, and healthcare facilities. Those have really... um, contributed to increase the resilience of communities and institutions to events like droughts like this and and as you know um, that uh, kiribati is one of the most vulnerable countries uh, to the impacts of climate change groundwater resources in the country are fairly shallow and local aquifers are reliant on rain so the weather and rainfall patterns have become more erratic uh, because of the climate crisis over the past few decades and uh, you know it led to drought conditions like we see today. And that's been affecting the country's growing population, almost half of whom are children. Uh, The the other impacts of the climate crisis in Kiribati can also be seen through floods. Uh, The intensity and frequency of uh, extreme rainfall has caused uh, flooding, which has become a health hazard for children and their families. So clearly in Kiribati, this drought is a symptom of the climate crisis that has already been a reality for children and their families in the country. In the future, sustainably providing safe Drinking water for Kiribati's growing population will mean adopting a portfolio approach by diversifying sources of water supply, and that includes desalination. But even desalination is not a silver bullet solution either. It's it's energy intensive and it comes with additional environmental concerns that have to be taken into account.
0: 142 women want into the Papua New Guinea parliament in this year's election. They face an almighty struggle given only seven women have ever won seats there before. But when the three weeks of polling gets underway on the 2nd of July, these women are hoping to prove that the PNG Parliament is no longer a male-dominated world. Don Wiseman has spoken with a number of the women and filed this report.
4: These 142 women are contesting alongside 3,357 men for the 118 seats in the Parliament number of the women are in seats with more than three dozen male rivals. For years, there's been talk of reserving seats for women, but this has come to nothing. Through it all, the women have remained indomitable. People like Julie Sosso, who first stood in the Eastern Highlands regional seat back in 1997, and has contested every election since. She won in 2012 and wants back to complete unfinished business. As the Governor of Eastern Highlands, she had pushed through for a hospital upgrade in Garoka, giving it diagnostic capability. This went ahead, but she says since the change of government in 2017, nothing has happened. The machines, paid for by foreign donors, lay idle and no staff have been hired to operate them.
2: We need them to have specialist doctors to diagnose them and if it's to be um, surgeries done upon them, it's going to be within our own hospital. So there was a dream, there was a vision. And then after Eastern Islands changed government, the vision and the dream just slept and the project
4: stood still. Matilda Korma is standing against 37 men in the Golala Open Seat in Central Province. Ms Gorma has stood four times before in the Kalala seat, but feels this time she has the support to get herself over the line. If she got elected, she's got a clear idea of what she wants to do, starting with the rehabilitation of the deteriorating infrastructure in the districts.
2: Like bridges, roads. And even all those building structures at every mission and government station kind of running down. The basic services are also missing. The health and education sector is really suffering because there's hardly any aid post. The hospitals are not in running conditions and the drug supply of medicines are just not consistent.
4: Oro province in Papua New Guinea has high quality soils and can produce great organic food. But people can't get it to market because the infrastructure there is lacking. That's the view of Gina Paro, who's standing in next month's election for the Oro regional seat. Mrs Zaparo is married to the Governor of PNG's National Capital District, Paus Parkop, and says if she got the job, her immediate focus would be on improving transport infrastructure.
2: Not only roads, but all the other transportation. Bridges, they're not uh, very well maintained. And then you have people who travel by small outboard motors, and that is very risky. So we've got to make that safe and a bit risky for our people. And then, of course, our road our connections, they're also very bad.
4: As a veteran of two earlier campaigns, Gina Paro believes she now has enough banking to topple Gary Juffer, who's held the seat for 10 years. Delilah Gora, who's running in the Soho Open in Aura province, won the seat in 2012, becoming a cabinet minister, then losing it in 2017. She says that loss still hurts.
2: That shouldn't have happened because I did my best, very best I could. But right now I can get the reactions and comments from people. A lot of people are telling me that I've done well in the last five years. The voters still couldn't believe I lost the seat. So I'm having a lot of support right now. So I'm confident to come back again.
4: Along with another high-profile candidate we heard from in an earlier program, Delciana Samari-Brash, the daughter of PNG's first Prime Minister, who is standing in the Angoran Open, these women are confident they'll do well. Hopefully, at least for some of them, that'll be the case.
0: The visit of Samoa's Prime Minister to Aotearoa, New Zealand, has wrapped up after three days of relationship-building milestones. The Ame Naomi Mata'afa began with a welcome at Parliament, followed by meetings with New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, Foreign Affairs Minister Nanaya Mahuta, and Climate Change Minister James Shaw on Tuesday, her first official bilateral with New Zealand since becoming leader last year. The Amir then travelled to Hawke's Bay to meet RSE workers, their bosses, Salmon community leaders and health workers, which began with an hour ceremony. RNZ Pacific's Lydia Lewis has been covering the visit.
5: New Zealand Cabinet Ministers Carmel Sepuloni and Alpito William Sio joined with Fiamme and her ministers Angafili Tomaimano Shem Leo and Peseta Numia Simi at Havelock North Function Centre where RSE workers and the industries who work with RSE workers gathered. On the third day, Fiamme was welcomed by Komatua of Ngate Kahungunu to Tui Tui, Hawks Bay Arts and Events Centre in Hiritonga. She described the occasion as the table of prosperity. CEO of Samoa's Ministry of the Prime Minister and Cabinet, Angafili Tomaimano Shem Leo, presented an Aitonga fine mat to the iwi.
3: <laughs>
5: Fiamme reassured Samoan community members the RSE scheme is going to continue and also be strengthened.
3: I'd like to ensure, uh, assure you that our, our new administration is very keen to raise the quality of the programme of RSEs to meet all our respective uh, needs.
5: New Zealand's Minister for Pacific People, Albito William Sio, was travelling with Fiamē. He acknowledged the Ava ceremony as a particularly special part of her visit.
0: Hat fell. Raw, authentic culture and authentic aroha for the who's promised Prime taking the time out to visit them.
5: Alpito says the meeting in Heritonga has been significant also.
0: But they have assured New Zealand that the scheme is important to us. You've got a sizable cohort of IRC
3: workers here.
5: Vivi says her government may change the open recruitment process for RSC workers as part of their review.
3: You will appreciate that Samoa is a small country. Labour mobility is important in terms of us having access to work here, but we also have to keep the balance in that our workforce is also in a good place back at home.
5: Samoa's government is looking at having arrangements with villages or organisations to send people over in groups with a leader.
3: When groups travel and they come from the same village or the same place, we see that there is a better rate of success there because there are built-in uh, controls and support systems um, for those workers.
5: Mr Apple is the largest employer of RSE workers in New Zealand and so far this year has employed 900 workers from Samoa alone. Labour manager Alistair Jameson says he will support the changes if they go ahead. So that when groups come out there is a strong affinity within the group. Mr Jameson and other orchard managers we spoke with have had teachers, police and even medical professionals from Samoa working for them through the RSE scheme. He says the scheme was always supposed to be focused on participants from Samoa's rural sector, not workers trained in other professions. We're certainly not in the game uh, of taking away their highly skilled people. We believe that the economy of Samoa needs these people back in Samoa and and we don't want to be seen to be in there uh, and and sort of cutting across that. The government of Samoa has not finalised any changes just yet.
3: I'd like to take the opportunity to thank you as employers, uh, given uh, the impacts of COVID and how that has impacted the time that the workers have been here. They've gone over their time, and you have very kindly uh, accommodated and made arrangements uh, so that they can um, uh, stay whilst they're awaiting their times to go back. I appreciate the efforts that have been made uh, for repatriation.
5: Fiame was formally farewelled by the Samoan community at the Malayola Community Centre in Mangere and will leave New Zealand on Saturday for Rwanda to attend the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting.
0: French Polynesia is predicting a rise in tourist numbers as border restrictions ease. Mandatory COVID-19 tests were lifted on the 12th of June for passengers arriving in
6: Tahiti. Jan Kohut reports. The French Pacific Territory is a favoured high-end tourist destination which throughout the pandemic has mostly been open to the US and France. This is reflected in the tourism statistics which show American and French travellers making up almost 90% of arrivals. The CEO of Tahiti Tourism, Jean-Marc Mousselin, says with more countries opening up and travel restrictions easing, occupancy rates are increasing rapidly. In May 2019, overall we had 74.8% occupancy in French Polynesia. In 2022, uh, last month, we were 80%. Mousselin says even without travellers from Australia, New Zealand, Asia and South America, tourism in French Polynesia is outperforming US tourism by 18% and France by 22%. Based on the statistics from a syndicate of resorts in French Polynesia, the number of tourists this year will reach at least what they were in 2019, if not more, with 200,000 to 220,000 visitors expected this year. The CEO of South Pacific Tourism Organisation, Chris Cocker, says the key to Pacific countries now being able to reopen their borders is that vaccination rates are high.
2: Reopening of borders means that we are going back to normalcy in this case. Uh, It means that uh, those who are very reliant on tourism will be able to see and capture the market that are eager to travel.
6: Air Tahiti has added a new aircraft to anticipate the number of tourist bookings in French Polynesia. The co-president of the Associations of Hotels in French Polynesia, Christophe Gardia, agrees the boom is due to an ease of restrictions.
4: Uh, les clients qui viennent d'Europe... Since yesterday, the clients that came from Europe or that came from the United States, they don't need to do a test. All is open.
6: It is worth noting that unlike many Pacific nations who completely shut down their tourism industries, and are now experiencing staffing shortages as they reopen, French Polynesia has been partially open throughout the pandemic and has been able to compensate tourism staff in anticipation of the rest of the world reopening its borders.
0: The former president of Ireland, Mary Robinson, is urging Pacific leaders to decriminalise homosexuality across the region. Ms. Robinson made the call as part of conversations being had as June is celebrated as Pride Month in Europe and the United States. Mary Robinson, who served as Ireland's president between 1990 and 1997, encouraged the Pacific queer community to continue fighting for their rights. Susanna Suiswiki has more.
7: During her presidency, Mrs. Robinson signed the law decriminalising homosexuality in Ireland. Speaking recently on a panel in the Netherlands alongside Pacifica queer activist Shanil Laul from Fiji, Mrs Robinson encouraged the Pacific queer community to continue fighting for their rights. She says Pacific leaders will gain
4: if they change the laws. People should not be criminalised for their sense of self and identity. And sometimes it takes a court case as it did in Ireland. I hope that the Pacific Islands will understand that they will gain from decriminalising homosexuality throughout the islands.
7: Lal says decriminalising homosexuality in the Pacific is on the back burner due to the climate crisis. They say little has been done in the Pacific to address the criminalization of queer people, as focus has been on the effects of climate change. Climate crisis has
2: taken up all of our resources in the Pacific. There is absolutely no time to focus on other issues like social progress for the queer rights. So imagine this, if you were trapped in a house and you couldn't escape, and your house was kind of set on fire, you wouldn't sit in the house and complain about being treated unfairly. You would throw all your resources at trying to set that fire off. And I think that's what's happened in the Pacific, is that they don't have time and resources to focus on social progress. They have to throw all their resources and all their time at ending the climate crisis.
7: A Pacific LGBTQI plus advocate says Mary Robinson's call to decriminalise homosexuality in the Pacific is one of many voices displaying solidarity for the community. Felicia Brown-Acton has served the Pacifica rainbow community for over 20 years and says nobody should be punished for being themselves. Brown says while it's admirable that international leaders are lending their support, she hopes that they have a relationship with the countries they are speaking to. She also says the commentary shouldn 't undermine the safety of the queer communities and other countries
2: it 's important to remember that if anybody has anything to say on the international platform around decriminalization of homosexuality in certain countries, I really hope that they are aligned to the leadership in those countries from the community level to support them in their efforts because it 's important that they do have those connections and those relationships and that their commentary isn't undermining the safety or the work that's being progressed by key communities to try and remove these punitive laws.
7: Having spearheaded the movement to ban conversion therapy in Aotearoa earlier this year, Shania Laul is calling on all Pacific queer people to work together and keep pressuring their leaders.
2: I would say that if there are any queer Pacific people's listening that to reach out to coordinate to um, work together so that we have the powers to pressure our leaders to change the laws of our countries
0: that brings us to the end of pacific waves for today remember you can download us free to your device from spotify iHeart, or apple podcasts and if you're using apple please leave us a rating so others can also find us